On his arrival, Jesus finds that Lazarus has, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was least, less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you were, had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again um, in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives, in, lives by believing in me will never die. You, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, uh, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After, yeah. uh, after she said uh, this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at her feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Some of the uh, things in our lives can be so painful. Uh, they can be so private, so difficult to talk about, perhaps so individual just to us it's easier just not to bring them out into the open at all, uh, to not talk about them and definitely not to preach about them. Uh, but here I am, uh, stood here preaching for the third time today on one of the most difficult things uh, that I think I've ever had to preach on, and that's the subject of grief. It's difficult because grief is so personal to us. It's so individual. Each of us experiences grief in different ways. Everyone's story of grief is completely their story. And so as we delve into this passage uh, from John chapter 11, and think about this subject of grief, I'm not going to tell you how to grieve. There's no right way to grieve. But my prayer is that whoever you are, and whatever your experience of grief uh, this evening, that Jesus will come and meet us, each of us, where we are. So let's pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you that you're here through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we've been able to sing of you, to sing of how we are your children and how we're chosen and how much you love us. And I pray that as we uh, talk about this difficult subject this evening, that you would come and be here, that you would be our comforter, that you would bring peace, and that you would speak into our deepest places. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I guess we most often associate grief with death and that immense feeling of loss that results uh, when somebody close to us die. Some of us here may never have had anybody close to us die, but we can experience grief in other ways as well. We can experience grief over some other loss in our lives, perhaps the loss of a relationship or the loss of a job, the loss of a friendship, the loss of independence, perhaps as as a result of an injury or an illness. Uh, When I left university, I remember I grieved for about two months when I left university, having left my friendship group and the place I'd lived and studied and my church for three years. I grieved that loss for about two months afterwards because grief is simply the feeling of loss. Grief is the feeling of loss. I remember clearly the night a friend of ours uh, discovered that her best friend had been having an affair. She appeared on our doorstep late one night, uh, came into our house, and having told us what had happened, just threw herself face down on our lounge floor and wailed for about an hour and a half wailed into our carpet for about an hour and a half. She was wailing in grief over the person that she thought she knew, over the lost friendship, over the breakdown of that marriage. And when somebody dies as well, we grieve not just for the loss of the person, but for so much more as well. I remember when my stepdad died uh, really suddenly when he was 57. I grieved the loss of him, and I grieved the loss of the person I had known and loved. And I also grieved the loss of the future that we weren't going to share together. But perhaps more than my own grief, I also grieved for my mum. I grieved for her and her loss and the future she was going to have to face uh, without her husband as well. And my grief sort of came out in worry and concern for her. Everyone deals with these feelings of loss differently, don't we? Some of us get really angry when we're grieving. Some of us shut down our emotions. Some of us retreat from people. We want to be on our own. Some of us need other people. Some of us are just desperate to get back to normal, whatever normal might be. Others completely forget what normal looks like and they have to invent a new normal. Some of us sink deeply into what we call the dark night of the soul, trapped in our grief. Others trip over grief when we're least expecting it. There's no normal, there's no normal when it comes to grief. But I expect that the one thing that the majority of people will face in grief are those huge questions and huge doubts that sometimes overwhelm us. God, where are you? We ask. Why did this happen? Where is the hope for me now? What is the point? Will I ever get over this? And the Bible doesn't avoid these realities of life and death, of hope and despair. 
The Bible faces the issue of living with loss head on. And somehow as we muddle through, sometimes overwhelmed, sometimes feeling hopeless, sometimes confused, sometimes in downright despair, we find in the Bible people asking the same questions that we do. But we also discover in the person of Jesus a profound and a powerful love and compassion that can come into our deepest, darkest places of grief and loss and speak life and hope, even in death. And so we're going to have a look at this passage from John chapter 11. Uh, And we're going to find out that actually we encounter so much of who God is through the person of Jesus in this passage. We'll encounter a God who can take our pain. We encounter a God who enters into our grief. A God who hates death. And a God who brings release and hope. So firstly, we'll find out that Jesus can take our pain. I think so often we feel, some, for some reason, uh, that we have to get everything sorted uh, for God to work in us. But in coming to earth in the person of Jesus, God chooses to share in our humanity, not just in the good stuff, not just through the good times, but sharing in our humanity means that Jesus shares in our sadness He shares in our grief. He shares in our moments of despair. He shares in our fears. He shares our sorrow and he weeps with us. And yet because Jesus is fully human but he's also fully God, in the depths of sorrow we encounter the God who can bring hope into our despair. Who can speak words of incredible peace into our pain and into our fear. A God who can bring life even out of death. And we find here in John chapter 11 that Jesus has heard that his dear friend Lazarus is seriously ill. Uh, And even though he's heard that Lazarus is seriously ill, he decides to stay where he is for a little bit longer. Uh, So by the time he heads to Bethany, uh, to the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, uh, we find that Lazarus has already died. And in verse 32 of that passage in John 11, Mary comes out to meet Jesus. I wonder if you notice, she doesn't hide her grief. She's not keeping it to herself thinking, I won't bother Jesus with this one. In her grief, she comes out and she meets Jesus. And in her absolute angst, she falls at his feet and she cries out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's basically saying to Jesus, where were you when we needed you most? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you get here earlier? Why? She's expressing the if only, the cry of our heart that so many of us cry out when we journey through grief. If only they hadn't got in the car. If only I'd lived my life differently. If only I picked up the phone more often. If only I had said that or I hadn't said that. If only they'd been somewhere else. Why did this happen? But maybe our biggest if onlys in grief are directed at God. If only God, you had been here. 
If only you had intervened. If only you had loved more. If only. And we know that Jesus has the power to change things. So why? Why didn't you? Mary cries before Jesus' feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But as Jesus stands before his beloved friend Mary, he can take her pain. He takes her pain. And he doesn't do anything. He doesn't give her a nice platitude, a sort of, there, there, you'll be all right, or quote a Bible verse at her. He simply enters into her grief. Jesus enters into her grief. We read in verses 33 to 35 this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. You see, Jesus isn't beyond emotion. He isn't beyond sadness. He isn't beyond the pain and the brokenness of this world. He isn't the God of there, there, it'll be okay. Just pick yourself up and get on with it. Jesus doesn't stand apart from grief, from loss, from suffering. But Jesus enters in to all the loss and the suffering and the grot and the dredge of this world. He enters into it. It was a Friday night and it was about 10.45 and it was the end of a really busy week and I'd gone to bed a bit earlier and I was just drifting off when my mobile phone rang, uh, which was by the side of my bed. It was a girl from uh, the school that I was a chaplain at uh, and she simply said this down the phone, Mrs. Tolbert, something's happened, we need you to come now, we're on the street, we're on the road outside your house. And so I just pulled my clothes up. I ran across the field. The road wasn't by my house. It was across the field. I ran across the field to, to the road. And I could see a group of people on the road uh, around a police car. And when I got there, um, I found out from the girl who had rung me what had happened up to that point. One of this girl's friends, had um, her mum had meant to meet her to go to a school play with her. And her mum hadn't turned up, and so she'd been ringing her mum before the play started to find out where her mum was. No answer. She'd gone out in the interval, rung her mum all through the interval. No answer. The play had finished, and the girl rang her mum again. And this time, her phone was answered. Uh, but it wasn't answered by her mum. It was answered by a policewoman. And after establishing who the policewoman was speaking to, she said, stay where you are. Have you got people with you? Stay where you are. We're coming to you. And that was the point where one of her friends got on the phone and rang me. And as, we, as I was filled in on these details, uh, this 17-year-old girl was sat inside the police car. And a moment later, the car door opened, and this girl just flung herself out of the car, screaming, screaming at the top of her voice because she'd just been told that her mum had been found dead. We later found out that her mum had died of a brain hemorrhage in the car park of Sainsbury's where she'd gone to get some shopping on the way to coming to meet her daughter to go and watch the school play. 
And I saw in that moment of pure, raw agony. I saw in that moment of grief and pain and despair. And all of us that were stood on that street in that moment, we did the only thing that we could think of to do in that moment. We did the only thing we could do in that moment. We just gathered around her and we entered into her grief. As Jesus faces the loss of those grieving the death of their brother, their friend, their neighbor, Lazarus, he doesn't stand there observing, saying, there, there, it'll be okay. Don't you know who I am? He simply enters into their pain, and we read that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. In the Greek, the word that's actually used insinuates that Jesus doesn't just shed a tear, but he bursts into tears. These aren't the tears of one spectating grief or one shedding a tear or two in sympathy. But as one commentator puts it, Jesus' tears at that moment authentically express the emotions of his heart. He bursts into tears. Jesus' tears express his deep compassion for his friend. And sometimes, that's all we need to do, to be there, to listen, to enter in to the grief of our friend, somebody in our family that's going through a tough time, into the pain, just enter in. And then as the passage goes on, the mood changes. If we were to read further into verses 37 and 38, we hear that as the group of people, the group of mourners, approach the tomb where Lazarus is laid, we read that Jesus is deeply moved, deeply moved. And again, the Greek word used here tells us much more uh, about the depth of emotion Jesus is feeling than these words deeply moved. In the Greek, the phrase actually translated means Jesus became angry in spirit. Jesus is outraged in spirit by what's going on. Jesus hates death. He hates the effect it has on these people that he loves so much. And it's like he's saying, you know, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is not how it's meant to be. This is not what I want for these people who I love. And maybe that's your experience of grief. It's not just about your own loss, but you're angry at the effect that grief is having on that person that you love. How you've seen it change them, how it will affect the rest of their lives, how it's robbing them of their hope, perhaps their view of the future. And it's not okay. I'm just going to invite Fiona Foreman up to the front. I'm just going to chat to uh, Fiona. So this is Fiona, if you don't know her. Her and her husband have been part of the church for, for a while. Thank you for being with us, Fiona, tonight. Um, we've got a lovely picture uh, that we're going to put on the screen there. Uh, two years ago, uh, your son Aaron died um, as the result of an accident whilst working as a ski instructor in France aged 26. And I know that the last couple of years have been 
very traumatic and difficult for you and for your whole family. So thank you for being here. And I've just asked Fiona to come and share with us some of her experience of grief. So could you share something of what grief has looked like for you, Fiona? See my boy on um, on that screen, our boy, um, our eldest, and I miss him. I miss him so so much, mm. and his smile and his generosity and his love of life, love of people. Mm. That's a big hole too, and it was so sudden and so unexpected and. I didn't scream. That wasn't how I responded. Not immediately, and yet, oh, so many days, it's just what I want to do. If I'm standing in church and people are singing, sometimes I just want to scream and scream, and tears just flow. Sometimes they just flow in, in the supermarket. I don't care anymore. They just come. And two years on, they still come, and I still want to scream. I felt like I've been living in a dark, dark world, wading through sludge and like a heavy blanket over me and very little light, very little, um, very little joy and aware of other people's pain and grief's not what I expected. It's just, it's ongoing and it's confusing and I feel anger and such deep sadness. Mm. So can you tell us how you've coped as you've walked through this time of despair and sadness and darkness? How have you coped? A wise friend said, um, from her experience, do the next thing. And I'm smiling now as I think of that. I look at Aaron and when I was told, um, I had just come um, back from running on the hills, which is where and I always often went when he was home. And, and we've got a dog, and um, she was filthy. She was so muddy. And all I could think of was, I need to wash her. <laughs> and so, yeah, I didn't scream. I went to wash the dog and do the next thing, something that just practical and, like, ignore um, I didn't want to believe it. Um, and we've been gathered in by people and love. And as you've said, Libby, people have just stood by us. They haven't had answers. Some people have tried and they mean well, but most people and many of you here have been part of that group who've journeyed with us and held us and loved us and fed us and cried with us and made us laugh and picked us up and and are still there for us and that means so much so so much and so where in this journey of grief with all its ups and downs where have you found God in your grief you know sometimes everywhere and sometimes nowhere in the early days, um, Aaron was in France when the accident happened, and so Ewan and I went out, and God was in Aaron's friends. Mm. 
He was in the people that Aaron loved. I don't know what kind of faith they have, if they had a faith, but that's where God was, pouring love from them in an unexpected, beautiful way. God has been in people for us, his experiencing that love, that unconditional love. Um, I have been part of um, a couple of groups, um, small groups, where I have been able to um, sort of explore faith and done faith journeys with people, and we've been able to be real, not just what I've been going through, but when you're part of a group that's real, then we share together, and that has been really, really important. And, um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. But anyway, just people, people being there and, yeah, just sharing that love and life together. But not everybody gets it. Not everybody gets how I can still have a faith, how I can still believe when our boy has been taken so suddenly. And, and I don't know where he was on that faith journey. He didn't always agree with us and... And that was hard. And so I don't understand, you know, there's so many questions, so, so many questions. But somehow my faith has continued to be real. And I felt like I've been, oh, I love nature. I love being outside. And uh, this picture of a big rock by the sea. And even though the wind and the waves are battering me, it's never knocked me off. I've never been, I've never gone right under and... Not everybody gets that, but for me, it's really, it's really helped. And I've been able to find God in little things like just, I don't know, just in the birds or in a little snowdrop popping through that darkness. And I don't know, the sun yesterday was pretty good feeling. And... Um, but I think now, I think my faith kind of almost was maybe more helpful in the early days. And I think right now I'm probably questioning more and have a little bit more anger and confusion. And and I had this picture of, I guess, we have four children and so I have done a bit of the toddlerhood and teenage rebellion and different things but I had this picture of when I'm really angry or crying or confused of just being held by God and you know like a toddler like mm-hmm. you know bashing your chest with rage and you can't say anything there's nothing there that is helpful to say to a toddler at that moment you know like you just need to hold them and wait for it to pass and it, And I feel really fortunate to think that God can cope with it. Just like Mm. I coped with toddlers, God is more than able to cope with my rage, my friends, my families, those around us that don't understand there are no answers. And and it doesn't stop. It goes on, Libby, you know. Mm. Sometimes it's harder and sometimes it's easier, but, but somehow I know that God's arms are big enough and they're able to hold me in a way that I feel held and 
And right now, I feel there is hope. I have hope for this life, and I have hope for death. And that sounds weird, but somehow it has been a comfort. And, yeah, I'm thankful for my faith. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Fiona. I love what Fiona just said there, that she is hopeful in life and she's hopeful in death as well. And doesn't that speak volumes? We can have hope in life and hope in death as well. And sometimes all we can do is hold on to Jesus, onto that rock that Fiona uh, described there. We can hold on to hope even in death. Just going to whiz back to John chapter 11 as we come to a close and how the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end with Jesus weeping. But actually Jesus walks to Lazarus's tomb where he's been dead for four days and he stands at that tomb and he asks the people there to roll the stone away and then in a loud voice he cries, Lazarus, come out. And in like a foretaste of Jesus's own resurrection, when Jesus conquers sin and death and the devil once and for all, Jesus raises Lazarus. And in that moment, in that moment where Jesus gives life back to Lazarus, gives Lazarus back to his family, we see the the glory and the power of God. We see the fact that in Jesus, because of Jesus, death doesn't have the final say. And when Jesus calls Lazarus out of that tomb, he calls him out and he's got the grave clothes on him. And he asks the people there to release Lazarus from those grave clothes, the things that bind him. And in that moment, Lazarus is released from the trappings of death. He's given his life back, and Mary and Martha receive their brother back. And they are released, too, from the grief that has bound them and are given new hope. And this is what Jesus is all about. Jesus is all about hope. He's all about life, even in the darkest, in the most fearful situations. And even when just a short time later Jesus is nailed to a cross and dies in the most horrendous way, that is not the end. Death could not hold the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And when Jesus rises from the grave, he breaks the binds of sin and death. No longer do they have the final say. And in that moment, we also get a foretaste of what will happen when Jesus returns, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no more sickness, there will be no more death, there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. And Lazarus, even when he's released from death, even when he's released from those grave clothes, he still has to start his new life his new life back in this broken world that he was living in. He probably went back to work. Have you ever thought about what Lazarus did after he'd been raised back to life? 
He probably wouldn't have had some dinner. He hadn't eaten for four days. He then probably went back to whatever he did in his normal life. He was back in his family, back with his friends. But I expect for Lazarus and for those who'd seen that, things were never the same because he had been rescued from death and given new life through Jesus. And for all of us, when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's as though Jesus releases us from our grave clothes. He releases us from the sin that's bound us, from the things that have dictated our future. And he gives us a new experience of freedom, of hope, of life in him. So do we live in that freedom and that hope and life that Jesus bought for us on the cross? It doesn't mean life will be without grief. And for some of us here, we might know that hope in Jesus, but we're bound in our grief, in our feelings of loss. And so perhaps for some of us here tonight, Jesus wants to loosen your grave clothes, those things that bind you. It might be that he wants to release you emotionally to allow you to face the grief that you're carrying, that you're burdened with. It might be, as Fiona was saying, he wants to release you just to be angry, to ask the questions that perhaps you've been told to or you feel that you don't have the right to ask. Jesus wants to bring you freedom and hope to grieve. And as we've heard, Jesus can take it. He can take our pain. And for some of us, we just need to know that Jesus is with us, that he's entered into the brokenness of this world, into our suffering, into our pain, into our grief. He's with us and he will never leave us. I'm just going to finish uh, with some words that are from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me.